Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We get to finish the book of James today, his letter to the church, kind of a general letter. It's part of the general uh, epistles. James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. James begins this chapter with the idea of lack of trust in God. Being rich doesn't by default make that the case, but it often is. And we see this around us as well. The more that you have, the easier it is to trust in yourself rather than in the Lord. So James begins this way. Their riches are going to disappear. Verse 3 ends by saying, you have laid up treasure in the last days. These are the last days. The earth is coming to an end. We know not when, but soon. Don't lay up treasure here. Several connections in this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. That's a good one from Matthew chapter 6. Don't lay up storehouses of treasure here, but rather in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That then is contrasted with the second half of this opening paragraph, which gives 
a list of their sins and thereby the people that they've hurt with their sins. We see the crying out in verse 4. The wages cry out. The harvesters cry out. Everything is crying out against the sin of man. A couple of good questions we can talk about with our kids in this paragraph alone. The first is, what happens to all that we own in this life? Eventually, what happens to all of it? It all comes to nothing. It all fades. It all gets destroyed. It perishes. But not us. Because we have been saved by the Lord. And so we are to put our hope and our trust in him above all things. Going along with the the movement of the paragraph, so we have the lack of trust in God and then a list of specific sins. This applies to us. We lack trust in God. We have these specific sins in our own life uh, that may or may not match these. Without Christ, what would happen to us? It's a question we can discuss together. Thankfully, we don't have to have that answer because we have Christ. And so instead of perishing, we get to live forever. The next paragraph then, really it's a reference to the first paragraph. So it starts by be patient. So you who are crying out, patience, the Lord is coming. Verse 7 starts, be patient. Verse 8 starts, you also, be patient. This call for patience is rooted in the return of Jesus, which is going to happen soon. In the grand scheme of eternity, it doesn't matter if Jesus comes this year or in a hundred years or a thousand years. He's coming soon. It's a very small window of time in comparison to forever. So be patient. He will return. He will save you. He will deliver you. And then James points them to the suffering of the prophets. We're going to have both Job and Elijah mentioned. It's a great chance to double back to the Old Testament and recount what you know together as a family. Who is Job? What did he suffer? Job's trial in particular is is quite enlightening as he was attacked by the devil directly. The devil took from him everything. So you go back to verses 1 and 2 where everything's perishing Everything Job had perished. The only thing that didn't die was his wife, but his wife turned her back on him and spoke pretty harshly to him, told him to abandon his God and die. So, yeah, Job Job had, had the experience here and was patient in the midst of that suffering. Elijah is mentioned down later, more specifically in reference to his prayer, how he could pray and it actually happens. So we're going to come back to Elijah in a moment. Um, he also suffered. There was a point in his life where he thought he was the only person who still worshipped the Lord, that everyone else had left and given up. Not the case, but he believed that to be true for a while, and he suffered silently and alone uh, on account of that. A question coming out of this paragraph, though. How did the lives of the prophets go? What was the mark that they had done well? Is it the same as our mark today? The mark that your life goes well today, measured by our own values in our culture, is, you know, are you successful? Are you happy in life? Are you 
you know, are you wealthy? Can you care for yourself? Those are the marks of success in our current culture. That's not the mark of success here. Behold, verse 11, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Faithfulness is the mark of a a life well lived. Be faithful, brothers, above all else in this world. Verse 12 also connects to the gospel account with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says these, these things very specifically as well with the taking of oaths. Simply letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Verse 13 gives us the and 14 gives us the life of the church. Those who are suffering should pray. Those who are cheerful should sing. Those who are sick should call upon the elders uh, for prayer and healing and anointing. So these are the things they were to do together. Uh, encouragement from James to live out their faith, to be faithful together. Verse 15, the true statement, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. We rejoice in that, that forgiveness of sins that we have from Christ. Verse 16 gets into Elijah's prayers. The prayers of a righteous person have great power in working. There's power in prayer. We should pray. We should trust in the Lord. We should ask the Lord for things. We should pray for our neighbors and our friends. We should pray for our co-workers and our family. We should pray for anyone and everyone, Christian and non-Christian. Pray for people. Pray specifically for people. And allow that to, to be a, a focal point of your life. It helps you to not focus on yourself, but to trust in the Lord. And also focus on caring for people around you who aren't you. And in the final paragraph of the letter, the last two verses. What are the multitude of sins being covered? Or maybe better yet to say whose sins are being covered? The verse actually leaves it vague. I think many people misunderstand this and try to say that this is covering over your own sins. So if you go out and if you go out and you spare this person from damnation. Uh, That's going to help you. That's going to spare some of your sins. I'm not sure that's what James is saying. Rather, by bringing them back, pointing them back to Christ, their sins are forgiven in Christ. The multitude of sins being covered are the sins of the sinner, the very person that we reached out to, to, to bring back. It connects very similarly to the verse in Scripture where we learn that love covers a multitude of sins. When we love our neighbor, when we share the love of Christ with them, it is Christ's love for us that covers over our sins. So thankful to have shared James's epistle with you. And tomorrow we're going to start into the book of 1 Samuel. So a little bit more of a history flavor for us as we continue to enjoy God's word.